What's going on, Jack fans? It's Bryson. It's Alex. We're back for another episode of Rock Chalk It Up. One game is in the books. And as far as I'm concerned, for about 14, 16 hours, Kansas was number one in the Big 12 and was undefeated, unlike any of the other Big 12 teams. So there's reasons for optimism, reasons to be happy. But today's episode, obviously, we're just going to talk about the South Dakota game. There were things we liked, things we didn't like. Obviously, you know, all of us watched it. It wasn't pretty, but we got the job done. But before we get started, as always, got to give a shout out to our main sponsor, Madison Oaks Wealth Partners. Madison Oaks Wealth Partners is an independent financial planning firm based in Raleigh, North Carolina. Kenny Bollinger is one of the two managing partners of Madison Oaks. He is also a diehard KU football fan. Kenny holds a certified financial planner designation and has over 25 years of experience in the financial services industry. For more information about Madison Oaks Wealth Partners, please call Kenny Bollinger at 919-805-8145 or visit their website at madisonoakswp.com. So Alex, I got to ask you, you know, Friday night, it didn't look pretty. We had to sweat it out. I'm sure there was a point in that game where you said, hey, we lost the game. You know, what were your thoughts immediately watching during the game, after the game? What were your thoughts about Friday night? Yeah, that first half was really rough. I'm not going to lie. Uh, uh, I, was, I wasn't sure where we were going to go from there. Um, second half, much better. Uh, like you nailed it on the head. It wasn't pretty, but they got the job done. At the end of the day, that's the most important thing is winning the game, um, especially for Leipold in his first, first game of the season against a team like South Dakota. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I've been in these situations a lot. I, I didn't think we lost the game at any point. Now, trust me, I thought it was in doubt. Uh, I, you know, I was let it go to the, go to the final play of the game. I mean, you just, you have to do that. You don't know what's going to happen and look what happened uh, on Friday night. So uh, offensively um, was a little disappointed, especially in the first half. As I said, second half was, was a little bit better. I saw them make some changes, which was good seeing that in-game adjustments. Uh, some, some things we haven't seen um, quarterback play was not good in the first half and neither was the offensive line. Um, again, got a little bit better in the second half. Uh, you know, let's go back to my keys before uh, the game. We said three things. Well, I said three things. Quarterback play, consistency there. Didn't think we had that. Uh, running the ball, definitely did not have that. Stopping the run on defense. We were okay there. So um, overall, I mean, it was about what I expected. I'm always going to be an optimist going into the season, but deep down, that's about what I expected. Uh, moving forward is going to be the real telltale sign. So I'm just glad we got out of there with the win. Um, definitely some things that they need to work on. We'll see if that happens. Yeah, no doubt. And I think there were positives. I think there were obviously a lot more negatives. But one mm-hmm. thing I thought where it was like, you know, at halftime, we're up 7-0. Obviously, we're a little bit happy about that. But I've always felt like every season for at least the past five, six, maybe seven, you know, you go into a game at halftime that, you know, arguably could have been 0-0 or 7 So You know, the score could have been one way or another, but we're winning 7-0. And things clearly weren't working, but we came out in the second half and at least it felt like for the first time we made changes to try to fix said problems. And I don't know about you, but like, I just feel like that has never been the case. I mean, we have, I've never seen us come out and be like, Hey, you know what? Like this isn't working. So we need to fix things. I felt like at least adjustments were made and attempted to be made to help the running game open up and also to just utilize Jason Bean's skill set a little bit more. I don't know what you think about that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You nailed it. Um, so I was talking to some friends throughout the game, kind of just explaining what I was seeing in the first half. And and they were predictable on offense. They were very run heavy and the runs were in uh, predictable rundowns and straight up the middle. Uh, they, Leipold has talked about controlling the running game. We talked about that last week, um, but I didn't think they helped themselves out. Um, 
they did not stretch the defense, especially the defensive ends. They did not attack them in the first half. It was simply just runs up the middle. Um, I thought they could have done some things. I kept mentioning, hey, we need to challenge uh, the secondary deep. We need to put some pressure on the back seven. The back seven in the first half had no threat whatsoever of a passing game. If it was, it was very short, intermediate in front of them. Um, there wasn't a lot of stretch plays to the outside. They didn't do any quick wide receiver screens. Now, look, you can focus on the run and that can be your most important thing. But if you aren't giving yourself a chance to be successful and, and for them, they were very predictable. Now you mentioned adjustments. We get to the second half first possession. That's exactly what they did. First play. They uh, ran a deep pass play down the sideline completed, uh, uh, had an RPO to the outside being, um, had a very successful run. And if you notice all of the run plays up the middle that were getting stuffed, the best runs we had were following plays that were down the field or to the outside, quick, quick hitters that get the defense moving side to side. Whereas in the first half, the back seven, the safeties and linebackers I'm talking about were all first, first snap of the ball, stepping up, uh, really weren't challenged deep. And so it made stopping the run a lot easier for them. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And we know, obviously, last week when we talked, the big thing was the elephant in the room was the quarterback. Who's going to start? Who's going to play? I said Jalen Daniels will play. We didn't see Jalen Daniels at all, which I thought was interesting. But yeah. I'm curious, you know, Jason Bean, obviously, like, was not fantastic. It was not good. But I'm kind of curious, like, what you thought maybe, obviously, in terms of the major negatives, but also if there were any positive signs you think for things he can build on. I, yeah, absolutely. I thought there was a lot of positives. I mean, like you said, the quarterback play wasn't good, and he, and he wasn't good overall but I did see some things that he can work on and get better. So uh, that first half was a, a struggle for him. And again, the offensive line has a lot to do with that. Uh, he looked very uncomfortable in the pocket. Uh, I noticed a lot of his throws were high. He's got good arm strength, by the way. So that question was answered. Um, and when you're throwing the ball high a lot and consistently, it's you're not following through on your throw. So that's one thing I, I'm going to look forward for him to see if he can get that under control. The biggest issue for me was him staring down receivers, okay? I didn't see him going through his progressions, even on that big uh, pass play over the middle on, I believe it was third down on the game-winning drive. He was staring right at the inside receiver, number two receiver. Uh, fortunately, that guy was wide open and he was able to complete it. But I didn't see him going through his progressions and uh, he did a little bit better. And on that last play, if, if he wasn't so consistent in terms of, uh, staring down his receivers I would have just thought he pre-snap read that play and knew exactly where he was going but the fact that um, I felt he was either looking at one or two receivers wasn't looking left shaking off defenders and going back to the other side um, but you know hey he could run the ball uh, you know first game for him new system uh, Leipold talked about him just getting the offense a little bit you know just this past week so um, all in all I think he's somebody you can work with in the past, I don't think we've had that. He's somebody you can work with. Definitely some things he needs to clean up. Um, but but overall, I think there's there's some potential there in him. Yeah, so touching on two things. Obviously, the first one, you, you made the comments about the reads. And, and one thing I was consistently hearing from people in fall camp was that it was like, Jason will make one read, and if it's not there, he's gone. And mm -hmm. thankfully to him, I mean, he's got the speed to do it, you know. But I think a little bit comes back to his the offensive line doesn't always necessarily have the capability to – allow him to, to go vroom, vroom down the sideline like you would like to. Um, but then the second thing, you know, that you mentioned there was that he does have arm strength. And I think I would almost even say back to that is 
for the first time since obviously Carter Stanley, but even it goes way back before Carter Stanley, we have a quarterback that has strengths that like, if he had the other parts, he could be a big 12 quarterback. You know, he has elite speed. I mean, I might even go out there and say he's the fastest quarterback I saw from a big 12 team this year. Um, You know, he he's got the speed and he has enough arm strength. I think there's quarterbacks in the big 12 that don't have as much arm strength as he does. But like you said, he is overthrowing receivers. He is only he's staring down receivers, only making one read. And one thing I found to be interesting, too, was that he wasn't as good throwing on the run as you would hope for somebody who is a running quarterback. Like I thought he made a couple good throws on the run. But in the first drive, you know, he, he just overthrew a wide receiver a little bit out of bounds on what would have been an easy completion. The guy was wide open. You know, you think about that revolt rollout that he had obviously to his left, but he threw into the dirt, um, which I think was also on that game winning drive. Um yeah. You know, so just things like that, like obviously we're, you know, question marks. Why did he not get that done? And I've I've heard throughout all of fall camp that Coach Zabrowski is the best coach on the staff, um, and at least on the offensive side of the ball in terms of having control over his room and being on those guys, coaching those guys. So I imagine film study, you know, the past 48 hours has been very interesting uh, for the Kansas quarterbacks. But moving on to the running backs before we take a, gr- take a break. Belton Gardner, I believe, averaged a little over one yard a carry. Um, and I'm just kind of curious your opinion on why you think he struggled. And then even kind of secondly on that is that Tory Lachlan, a guy who's not a running back, came in a lot more in the second half and didn't necessarily have a ton of success. But he did find success at the running back spot when he was in there a little bit. Just kind of curious maybe why you think Tory had more success than Belton or maybe was it just the, the adjustments and, and timing with that as well? I think it was the adjustments and timing Um, in the first half. The run game was very poor. Uh, And like I said, they were very predictable in what they were doing. So with a non overpowering offensive line, a new offensive line, and when they know what you're doing and you're really not doing any counters or anything like that, it's going to be difficult to run in the second half. They did a little bit better job of that. Uh, Gardner, you know, it was kind of a couple of things. Number one, it was the offensive line. The offensive line didn't seem comfortable. He also, I didn't feel was hitting his holes. He was trying to bounce things to the outside or cut back. You don't always want to cut back. I remember Reggie Mitchell at my time at Kansas was very big on that. Cutting back can be fine, but you've got to hit the hole that's given to you. Now, sometimes those holes weren't there. Uh, sometimes on uh, you have what you call uh, where the running back will take two steps to the right, two steps to the left, and then get upfield. He, I felt, was just taking a straight line path, which wasn't allow the, allowing the blocks to be set up. So it was a little bit of offensive line, a little bit of him not reading it correctly. Again, you know, new offensive line, new scheme, limited time. Let's see if that gets cleaned up next week. Uh, I think he's better than what he showed yesterday. I mean, definitely some things, or or two days ago, definitely some things that he can clean up, though. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So we'll take a break real quick, talk a little bit more on the offensive side of the ball, and then go over to the defense that, at times, at least I felt, uh, looked pretty good on Friday night. We're back here, and now we're going to talk a little bit about the wide receivers. What I found to be the most interesting was how much rotation was going on in that group. I believe like Luke Grimm started like on the first play of the game, he was out there, got subbed out immediately uh, for Trevor Wilson. There's just a lot of rotation. I'm not in the wide receiver room. I don't know necessarily what, what goes into, you know, taking this player out for this player or the other. But what I do know is that the wide receivers didn't necessarily play great on Friday night, but one of them in particular had a performance that, quite frankly, you know, was involved in us winning the game, and that was L.J. Arnold. And before I pass it over to you, Alex, I'll say, I reported all fall camp, you know, he was in the ones. It was him, McBride, and Lasseter. And then I was hearing the past couple weeks, Trevor Wilson starting to take his spot. Kevin Terry, previous uh, prior to injury, was starting to take his spot as well. And so you didn't see him start 
on Friday night. And then you see him come in and he ends up making a, a couple catches or two and then makes the first touchdown catch, was, which was an incredible catch. And then also two of memory serves came right after he dropped a wide open slant pass um, as well. So he was able to redeem himself there. But then also two looking, made the game winning touchdown catch as well. Kind of curious your thought on the wide receivers and obviously LJ Arnold as well. I thought he was the most encouraging player of the entire game. Uh, big plays, um, big moments. He stepped up, caught the ball. Uh, he's a, you know, he's a physical wide receiver. He's got some speed and he's got some height. I think going forward, that's a great sign because, you know, we talked at the beginning of the year, I, I wasn't really sure what to expect from, from this group. Um, he, he's to me, seems like somebody that down the line can be a playmaker. I'm sure he's going to battle consistencies throughout the year. Um, but, uh, he ran some really good routes, that slant route that he caught the, or he dropped that you talked about on an RPO, uh, good route, just didn't catch it. Um, some of his other plays though, very good route, very good change of direction, uh, able to sink, sink his hips and get in and out of routes. And that's good for a guy that's tall, uh, being able to do that. It's a, it's a very difficult thing. Uh, we talked a lot about Trevor Wilson. Um, when I did see him in there, I mean, that guy's quick. I think he can, can be a good player for us, uh, but we didn't see him a whole lot. So wasn't necessarily disappointed. Just thought maybe we'd see more, but Hey, it's one game. Offense wasn't clicking. Not everybody was able to show what they can do. Uh, McBride was somebody else that I was hoping to see a little bit more, but kind of the same story. Um, you know, receivers rely a lot on the quarterbacks, getting them the ball. Um, and, and it just, with the offensive line being struggles, that just wasn't there. Um, you mentioned Grimm. We didn't get to see a whole lot out of him, but all in all, I wasn't disappointed in the wide receiver room. Um, I think it was okay. I mean, when they were asked to step up, I think they did a good job for the most part. Um, but moving forward, you know, we're going to, we'll see if Bean can get him the ball. That'll make a big difference. Yeah, for sure. And I think I, I found it very interesting to see on Twitter, see on the slant, see on websites that like, everyone's like, oh, like, I don't feel good about this wide receiver room. Like what's going on? It's like, I feel like we were pretty consistent. Like we lost Andrew Parchment. We lost the fall. Like we lost every reason, in my opinion, you had to feel optimistic about the room. And it's more now you say, okay, well, you know, Emmett Jones has recruited that room well. But no, no one who he has recruited has played, really. I mean, Stephen Bright and L.J. Arnold did not play much last year. L.J. Arnold played about four snaps before he got injured last year and was basically out for the year. So I am interested to see how that group moves. I agree with you. One thing that was really surprising to me was how short Trevor Wilson was. I don't pay <laughs> too much attention to what the roster says. It's always, you know, what you see. And I didn't get to go to open practice. But, like, when he went running out there, I was like, who on earth is that? That guy is very, very short, but nonetheless, a uh, fast kid. And that's what we need him for. So moving over to the offensive line, this was a group that I felt confident about going in was going to be a lot better than last year. Heck, there might still be an argument that even though they weren't that good, they were still significantly better than last year. But curious, your thoughts, you know, on the offensive line, you touched on, you know, obviously the lack of running game. Just kind of curious your thoughts about what the offensive line did on Friday night. Like you, I thought they, uh, I didn't necessarily think they were going to be good this year, but I thought they could be better. And, 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 and hey, you know, first game, very disappointing. That was the one thing that I'll say. That was a very disappointing performance. Uh, none of them grow to, uh, graded out very well at all. Um, the thing that surprised me was how much they were physically dominated by South Dakota. And I mean, we all know this South Dakota is going to be the easiest defensive line they're going to face all season, but Hey, it's not just as simple as that is, Hey, you got dominated by South Dakota. Well, you're in for a long season. We still very well might be, uh, the thing that was disappointing though, was, was on the tackle side of things, they were getting beat up field by those defensive ends a lot. Now, some of that's a technique issue. Uh, they seem very slow off the ball. 
Uh, I don't know if that's a snap count thing or what, you know, without being there, very difficult. And then inside, they were not getting any push, whether it was Grunhard um, or, or, or whoever in there. So that part was disappointing. But offensive line is something that, uh, you know, it's like when you're in baseball, uh, you know, what, offense, defense, pitching is usually ahead of hitting to start the season. Offensive line is something that usually takes time to gel. We'll see next week if they can do that. I'm confident that uh, they'll be able to do that, but it was a very disappointing uh, performance by them and the lack of quickness and ability to get some pushback on the South Dakota defensive line was something that concerned me. See if they can change that against coastal Carolina. Yeah, for sure. And one thing I found to be really interesting was that like, as far as pro football focus was concerned, the worst performance on the offensive line came from Mike Nowitzki, the yeah. guy that obviously just about everybody could unanimously agree is the most talented guy there. And I, and I haven't quite decided if my official opinion is that that makes me feel optimistic where it's like, Hey, you know, Mike has proven himself. So it's like, if he's having a bad game against South Dakota, he's played against far better teams in South Dakota. So at the end of the day, I'm going to sit back and say, Hey, I'm going to hope, you know, it's not that big of a deal and that he can bounce back from that. I guess we'll see, you know, we don't know. Um, but at least I do feel good that like he is the player that I feel the least worry about and he was the worst one. So I hope that performance can get better. So moving yeah. on to the defensive line, obviously things got pretty bad pretty quickly with Sam Burke getting injured for what appears to be, I think his mom said a six to seven week recovery injury. I, I thought it was adjusting. Like people weren't sure what happened. I mean, it was pretty obvious. He was, like walking off the field in air cast and like, you know, this, that, the other, um, it was in pub plenty of KU football footage in a cast, but nonetheless, Sounds like Sam Bird's going to be out a month and a half, two months. Kind of curious your thoughts on how the defensive line did and then how the defensive line is going to have to, you know, get around, obviously, losing their captain and best player in that position. Well, they, they played a lot of people on the defensive line and really on the defense as a whole, which which shows to the depth. And, and South Dakota had a pretty good offense last year. Um, I thought the defensive line was OK. I really did. I, I didn't see the offensive line, uh, especially in the pass rush. I thought they're OK now. When uh, South Dakota was running the ball, there was some concerns there. They did have some big runs. There were some times where I felt we got lucky um, by, you know, a bad read or a bad cut by the running back where the play could have gone for a little bit more. Um, I definitely don't think the defensive line played as bad as the offensive line did. But, uh, you know, I was I was impressed at times with their ability to get a pass rush. Um, especially when just just sending, you know, four or three, depending on the situation. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's room for for hope there. I mean, you know, the Sam Sam Burt's uh, injury situation is unfortunate, but we've talked a lot about uh, some people were disappointed that he was uh, going to play. Um, I think we saw a little bit of the depth there that we have uh, because I don't think they were overmatched completely. Um, we'll see next next week against Coastal Carolina against a very experienced team. But uh, I think that they were OK schematically. I, I think there's some things that they can clean up uh, overall, but but not a not a total disappointing performance there. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'm with you there. And one thing I, I was very impressed by was Kyron Johnson. It, it yeah. finally looks like he is who KU football has been telling us he is. He's been telling us he is. And it's like, it almost just looks like he's finally doing what, you know, he was recruited to do and has always kind of naturally felt like was his best thing is be fast and be fast off the ball and blitz the quarterback. And I mean, he, I think he forced a fall. I know he forced a fall, but I almost feel like he almost forced a second at one point. Did a very, very good job uh, of getting in the backfield. So I feel pretty good about his role there. Moving over the linebackers. You know, that was a question mark for everyone. There still are question marks at that position. Curious your thoughts. I know, at least from my opinion, I thought Taiwan Berryhill was a little uh, underwhelming. 
But just like we kind of talked about last week, this is going to be a very multiple defense. Like Nate Betts will be out there and then you'll throw a corner and there are safety in there uh, to fill his place. I was very intrigued by when they did that. And I feel like when they did do that, we saw the rewards. OJ Burroughs played very, very well, broke up some very important passes. Uh, Jason Gilliam, as far as I'm concerned, didn't have a pass completed on him. So just kind of curious your opinion on the linebackers and, and how they performed on Friday. Yeah, I don't think I talked about it last week, but I kind of when we were preparing for this, I wrote down Barry Hill as somebody that intrigued me. Um, definitely was very disappointed in, in him and his play. Uh, you talked about the multiple that we can do at the linebacker position, especially with Burrow kind of moving up. Um, I thought that's when we were at our best. Uh, you get that quickness there. Um, you know, the group really wasn't too bad. A lot of it was a product of the offense, or excuse me, defensive line wasn't getting blown off the ball. Uh, Potter still looked a little bit slow to me. Um, but but I, I think there's some things you can work with there. Uh, it, I wasn't at times, you know, on that big run play from that kid, I forget his name, the kid from Pratt, Kansas. There uh, was Travis Tice. Yeah, yeah, that was a nice little run. Um, you know, a lot of people were breaking down that play. You know, they actually played that schematically. That was okay. We, we were uh, aligned properly against it, but you had two missed tackles. Um, one of them was the tight end block down. I forget who the linebacker was, but he got swallowed up by that tight end block. And then the Sam linebacker came in, filled it appropriately, missed the tackle. So uh, kind of, I'm a, I'm a wait and see mode on that group, to be quite honest with you. Um, I, I wasn't, encouraged but I wasn't disappointed in, in that group so we'll see yeah for sure and I think we touched on a little bit last week and I, and I had people DMing me you know oh like OJ Burroughs did look good like I feel like that group has some people who all have are very good at one role I know we talked about it last week mm -hmm. like we yeah. don't have a Ben Heaney out here but we do have people who are all good at one role and it's more a matter of you know hopefully having the right person out there on the right time uh, you know to perform their role given the down the distance whatever the situation is so I'm with you there I I don't know if I feel that great about where that line, that room is going to be, you know, by the end of the season, but it's a matter of whether or not they can get to a level that they're at least average, you know, that's at the end of the day progress for Kansas football. So lastly on the defense, looking at the secondary, I'm curious your thoughts, because I think you sit back, you look at the box score, you look obviously at the final score. We didn't give up any big pass plays. There were a couple that could have been, you know, Absolutely. slightly overthrown passes, you know, that probably would have been touchdowns or big plays, but for the first time in a long time, KU did not get absolutely annihilated. Our corners, I mean, I was mad when Jacoby Bryant got called for offsides because he hit the guy at the line of scrimmage. But I was like, I can't remember the last time I watched a corner in the middle on the 50-yard line jam a wide receiver at the, the line of scrimmage. I feel like we've been playing 15 yards off the wide receiver, uh, you know, for the entirety of time that I've been a Kansas football fan. So just kind of curious your opinion on, on how the secondary did on Friday. I was impressed with that group. I really was. And really all of them. I mean, we talked about Burrow, the corners I thought were really good. And, and there definitely were a couple plays where, you know, they catch the ball or uh, they don't overthrow them. I mean, you do get burnt for a touchdown there. So, but Hey, you know, this is college football. I know that South Dakota is not the best team in the world, but people are going to make plays. Okay. You're not going to go into a game and it's going to be perfect. So I was encouraged by that group. I, the thing that got me the most fired up is the youth which we talked about last week, but the speed of that team. And then you mentioned the physicality. Uh, I thought the corners were pretty physical. Um, you know, that's a group that I'm actually getting pretty excited about. You know, line, the defensive line I thought was fine. You talked about the uh, Kyron Johnson. The defensive ends, in my opinion, were pretty darn quick. That's a good thing in the Big 12, especially moving forward when we get to uh, Big 12 play. Linebacker, I thought they were kind of slow, that, that thing. But the speed, 
and the secondary is pretty good. Physicality is good. I thought their coverage skills were really good. I didn't see a lot of busted coverages. And when you did, um, I forget who that receiver was for South Dakota, where the quarterback overthrew him. Uh, you know, that wasn't a busted coverage. It was just poor technique. And that's the same thing on that long touchdown run. It wasn't, it wasn't a schematic thing, which, you know, that's, that's a big thing to me. You can, you can fix things when guys are in the right place. It's just technique. You can fix that when it's bad technique, bad schematics. That's, that's Kansas football for the last, uh, you know, almost decade going on. So I was pretty encouraged by the defense overall. I thought they did a good job. Secondary, Definitely something KU fans should be looking forward to, uh, especially when we get into Big 12 play. See how they yeah. match up against some pretty athletic no, teams. No doubt. And I remember last week we were talking, you know, we're going to see all those corners rotate. And yep. it, there almost came a point in the game, like, I couldn't even really tell. I was paying attention to it at the beginning of the game. I'd be like, all right, you know, Jacoby and Jeremy Weber in now. I, I would mm -hmm. notice it. But then it came to a point, I didn't even notice who was out there. You know, it was like, you can't tell a difference. There's not one of them at least to the corners and the safeties that look clearly worse than the others or are going to get picked on. I mean, they all looked pretty good. They all looked pretty physical. And I also felt for the first time in a long time, Kansas corners were forcing incompletions. Whereas a yeah. lot of times it's like hoping the quarterback slightly overthrows them or makes a bad throw, you know, or hope Mike Lee comes over and hits him so hard, you know, that they, they drop the ball. It, I felt like Kansas corners were, were forcing incompletions. And, and quite frankly, I think there were a couple opportunities for interceptions you know that just unfortunately didn't get pulled off as well so it i was, uh, feel pretty yeah. good about them so that's what we're going to talk about the position next up we're going to talk about moments in that game key moments what we can learn from them and, and what we thought about them as well do you have insurance do you know what you're paying for every month kj is here to change the game kj is modernizing how insurance works for you and changing the way you envision insurance and your insurance agent the kellen gwynn agency will discover what's at risk for you ensure you are properly covered from the unexpected and develop a specific plan for you to make your dreams a reality. Call KGA today at 913-722-2700 or find them online at kga.info. All right, Alex. So obviously Friday night for me, I had to rewatch the game. I normally have to rewatch the game because I drank too much during the day to, <laughs> to remember everything. But there were some moments to me that stuck out that were good, that were bad. And the first moment that sticks out to me was a moment that wasn't necessarily so great. But at the end of the day, it was what it was. And it was the fact that KU did not get anything off an 80-yard kick return. And I'm curious your thoughts. Obviously, we're Kansas fans. We're almost, honestly, we're, we're used to it. And I know this is going to segue into the moment you want to talk about. But what are your thoughts? Like, as, as a KU fan and as me, I feel like KU is the last team in the entire country that can, like, afford to waste an opportunity like that. You get an 80-yard kick return. And a moment you need it, and then you do nothing with it. And I'm just kind of curious your thoughts, you know, like what's going through the sideline? Obviously, we went forward on fourth down on that drive. Like, you know, we did what we could. But what are your thoughts, you know, about that situation and, and what we have to do to, to fix that in the future? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I've been a part of many of those, uh, you know, when I was on staff at Kansas, you know, we had some good things going, and then it's just a very deflating experience uh, and feeling for the guys on the field when that happens, because everybody's all fired up. Now, I'll say that's kind of been the problem for KU football. It's that ability just to move on to the next play, and I think that they've struggled that, uh, struggled with that over the years, and I don't think the coaches, they talk 
talked about it, but I don't think they've done a good job of enforcing it and fixing it. I think that's something Leipold's going to do. And what I mean by that is it's not getting too high with the big plays and not getting too low with uh, the bad plays. You got to just be consistent and move on to the next plays. Uh, you know, in a boxing, you, you know, you get knocked down, you got to get back up and that's what they got to do. So it's very disappointing. Um, you know, that was very disappointing at the time. Uh, but, you know, it's just, it's, it's one of those things that when you're KU and you're trying to turn the program, you can't do those kind of things. I mean, if they're not playing South Dakota, if they're playing probably any of the other teams on our schedule, that's going to result in a loss. Um, you know, we'll talk about, uh, you know, some of the fourth down calls, which I, I was in favor of all of those personally, but uh, that one in particular, I, I really was in favor of we'll talk about it in a second, but, but doing those little things, you, you just, you got to be more consistent. You can't, you can't uh, get too down on yourself when those happen because the game is going to be a game of highs and lows. And, and, and that's something that the culture of Kansas football has struggled to deal with over time. I think Leipold fixed that and they responded to it. Uh, that could have been very deflating. That could have set the team down. They ended up coming back and, and, and winning the game. So I thought that was a positive uh, example of Leipold potentially changing the culture in a situation like that. That was very disappointing. Yeah, and I think about what you just said there with like being able to move on to the next plays. I think you see examples of that throughout the entire game for KU football. I, you think mm -hmm. when we scored that last touchdown, we we literally didn't know who to send out there to kick the PAT. You know, we had four or five players running on and off the field. And it's, it's situations like that, that you don't see that happening in Oklahoma. You don't see that happening at K-State. You don't see that happening at teams that have a culture established, know how to win football games. And that is going to be, in my opinion, maybe hard, the hardest part of the rebuild for, for Lance Leipold is getting a team of players who are used to, you hear them talking about, you know, finally we're held accountable for showing up on time to practice. You know, if that is a problem that, that Lance Leipold is having to come here and fix, that just shows the mountain of problems that we have that not the casual fan can ever see. So I just think that's just part of the process and, and part of the rebuild. So I want to talk about fourth down. Obviously, the, there's two big ones. I know you want to go into the first one. You know, when we went for it, we threw the ball, we didn't catch it. And then I want to talk about the second one as well, the fourth down spot that may or may not have been the worst spot in college football this year. So uh, I'll <laughs> let you take the, take the lead here. Yeah, so uh, with that, we'll talk about the uh, the RPO play where Bean threw the ball and it was incomplete. First of all, I love the call going for it. And really, it was a good play call. Uh, the issue with that, so first, Bean didn't hand it off, so he made the right read not to do that. He attacked the defense just as he should. Uh, I believe his name is, is it, it's Cardell, right? Yeah, Trevor Cardell, yeah. Trevor Cardell was running to the flat route as he should. And what he did was he turned up field and turned his shoulders to the inside which you should, you're not supposed to do until you're really all the way to the sideline. So if Cardell continues on his path towards the sideline and doesn't turn up quickly, that throw for Bean is simply just a quick little flick of the wrist and toss to him to the sideline and it's over. And I think that's what um, got Bean a little mixed up. He didn't seem very comfortable throwing that ball. He was expecting Cardell to go to the sideline, press the sideline more. Now, Cardell is taught that if the sideline throw is not there, you go up the field. He just did that too soon. And I think that caught Bean by surprise. Um, so Bean did a good job of, of reading that correctly. I, Cardell, if he just goes to that flat and continues on his path, 
that he originally was on. It's an easy completion. He might even score on that play. Um, by all accounts, that game would have been over by that point. Um, you know, I say that and I've been watching KU football for the years, so we'll see, but, uh, that was a great play call, great decision, just poor execution. Um, I think Cardell is actually the one we need to, and I don't want to blame the kid, but that's where, when you're watching film, you explain to him what he did wrong. You fix that and you move forward. And, and so really, and we talked last week about a coach that can make the right play calls in the right situations. I know you brought that up. And it's, it's knowing what the defense is going to do. And they knew exactly what South Dakota was going to do there. They had the perfect play call lined up. It was just the execution that was a struggle there. So those are the things that I look for that are positive. Okay, this isn't a good football team. It's not going to be a good football team. I want to see them get better throughout the year. But can they? is the problem, is it a schematic problem or is it a Jimmy's and the Joe's problem? And really, that really was neither there. It was just execution. So um, I think that was a big play in the game. Uh, we just talked about uh, the highs and the lows. It was a good job by the team to not get too down and be able to come back and win that. There. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Going forward on fourth down, that spot 100% makes sense. That's a, that's a nail in the coffin, you know, and obviously, like you said, we're, we're gay football fans. So you can never really say that definitively, but that was a nail in the coffin for that game. Uh, and, and unfortunately we didn't get it, but at the end of the day, I think making the right play call there is, is a step in the right direction. And like, yes. I thought Jason Bean executed everything, but the pass like a hundred percent perfectly. Like he came in, he forced the defender to commit to him. the defense knew that he could easily run the ball in the end zone. So the defenders had to commit to him to stop the run. He tries to just like, he doesn't really throw it. He just kind of like lets his speed and let go of it and lets the ball fly. Obviously Cardell, like you said, turned up the field a little bit too quickly. And that was that, but uh, I was more than happy with the play call. I was more than happy with going for it. And I just think things like that are when Kansas gets to a point, they're executing those. You, you, you walk away from a game and say, Hey, we won that game by 14 to 17 points. You know, we went for it on fourth down. And it's like plays like that can completely change every Kansas fans narrative where all of us walked out of there with our heart rates above 100. And, yeah. you know, we, we all had to sweat out a, a game winning drive. So I, I think those are the steps in the right direction there. Looking at another fourth down spot. And this is one that I was very, very vocal on social media um, and just about everyone vocal at the stadium about it as well as, you know, the fourth and one quarterback sneak. I'm a firm believer. I don't know what your take is on it yet. I'm a firm believer in the quarterback sneak, but I also think it's one of those things that, especially after you saw Patrick Mahomes get injured a couple of years ago, maybe needs a little bit of special, uh, you know, modification. I think of the Colts last year, they would bring in Jacoby Brissett every single time they wanted the quarterback to sneak the ball or run the ball in some way, shape or form. And it's like, Hey, you've got a quarterback like miles fallen. It's like six foot five, two forty. That kid can take a hit. You know, he's never going to play miles fallen. will never maybe senior night will never take a meaningful snap for KU football. Like we will be out there on the field at that same time, if that ever happens. And so I look at it like that and say, Hey, if it's not going to be Jason Bean, cause you don't want to risk him getting some freak injury, put a kid like miles falling in. And I think about what Bill Snyder used to do is if that guy ever got within two yards of a first down or two yards of the end zone, you knew they were going to score. They put two fullbacks right behind the quarterback and a running back right behind them. And they would shove that goddamn motherfucker into the end zone. It was a miracle. It was like, yep. you couldn't stop it. It was unstoppable. And so I agree with the play call, but obviously the refs at least feel we didn't get it. And also Lance Leipold didn't challenge it. Obviously we only had one timeout. That is somewhat of a reason for the debate. I'm kind of curious your thoughts, you know, on that play call. And then also too, on, on not challenging it. 
Yeah, the uh, I love the quarterback sneak. And really, you know, many people here are Chiefs fans, or if not, you're an NFL fan, you watch that. I mean, that, that injury that happened to Patrick Mahomes, it, that's a freak injury. That does not happen. Tom Brady's been running quarterback sneak sneaks his whole life, uh, a very – uh, you know, le- less athletic quarterback in terms of uh, speed and agility, that kind of thing. So um, I'm all for it. Uh, the, the injury risk in that play is actually pretty low. We in Kansas City or in Kansas are just a little susceptible to that because of Mahomes. Great play call there. He definitely got it. Um, the, the thing I didn't like there was the communication from the refs. They should have communicated that. Uh, the judge on the far side of the field, the ball was on the KU sideline. So that's actually the, the guy's call who – made the call of labeling him short, but the guy on the far side, he was uh, about a yard and a half past the first down marker. I mean, he clearly got it, but it is very difficult sometimes for the refs when they get that kind of stuff. Our sideline ref got shielded. That far ref should have stepped in and, and, and corrected him on that spot. Now, I think the issue with that play, I definitely think Leipold should have challenged it no matter what. I think the reason he didn't was because I believe that was they only had one timeout left. Is that correct? Yeah, so, yeah, they only had one timeout. And, which brings up another point. You know, there was some issues in there with, uh, you know, a lot of KU fans were talking about some wasted timeouts. And, yes, those, those, those were kind of some things that reminded you of KU football from the past. But, hey, it's the first game. You know, if, if that's just kind of a one-time thing and we move forward and that never happens again, water under the bridge, this isn't going to be a perfect show out there. So uh, I want to see moving forward, do they fix that kind of stuff? So I think Leipold didn't want to challenge because he knew he only had that one time out. But in my mind, you got to, you know, weigh the the risk and the benefits and, and, and challenging that is very beneficial to you and I think you got to run that risk and the other thing is you saw him on the sideline he was chirping up a storm out those refs right there and I mean he if unless he didn't actually believe that he got the first down he was just doing his duty as a coach I mean if you really believe it absolutely challenge it I mean that 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 was a I mean game-changing type play there potentially yeah especially and I think I saw Carter Stanley I think tweeted it out as you got a bad spot and three plays later they scored touchdown you know that that was and if we would have lost that game and I tweeted like that was a play that at least at the moment lost us the game. You know, it didn't end up losing us the game. We came back and won. But I, I'm a firm believer there's two people to blame here. Uh, the refs and then someone in that booth for Kansas football. And I know just from previous experience, you know, there's someone up there whose job it is to make sure that we know if we need to challenge a play. And I'm sure, you know, your time, you know, you spent with key staff and other staffs. Is, that is yep. a role for somebody. And people on Twitter were like, you know, he didn't have his headset on. It's like, dude, I'm letting you know right now, if I serve that role, I thought that was very clear and obvious. And in the booth, you know, they're getting replay access to the other. It becomes even more obvious. If Lipo doesn't have his headset in, I'm yelling in someone else's headset. I'm opening my window and screaming out it, jumping out if I need to, to cause a ruckus. I don't know. Yeah. I, just, I, I thought it was a massive problem that that wasn't made clear that that was a massive error. And I get the one timeout situation, but also too, is that like, that we needed that one timeout because we needed a game-winning drive. We wouldn't have needed that one timeout if we would have gotten that first down, or heck, if we never even would have lost that timeout. Um, but yeah, we would have gotten a first down, go down, score. Like we don't need that timeout. I'm a firm believer in like winning the game in the now and not worrying about the later. So I, I just I, I was not happy. You know what I was happy with, and I will touch on this is like the energy you just mentioned about Lance Leipold being in the refs' ears. Not only on that play, on just about any chance that there was yeah. any sort of error from those refs, Lance Leipold was in their ear. Uh, you know, and I don't know. I thought that uh, targeting call, and I'll say this is going to be my next you know pivotal moment in that game, was the targeting uh, 
late hit call is I think that was targeting because it was a late hit, but mm-hmm. I almost still kind of thought that wasn't that late of a hit. Like I, I thought that Jason Bean didn't give himself up quick enough for like that defender, not to have a rational reason not to hit him. And that ended up being a play that gave us an automatic first down automatically extended the game winning drive for us. I'm kind of curious your thoughts, you know, on that whole situation there. Yeah. Uh, and I'll back up real quick to what we were just talking about. Bottom line, he, he did need to challenge that. And you're right. There are people up there um, who watch for those kind of things. And when you're in that booth, I actually was in the booth about half of my time there. You can see everything up there. And you know how I talked about us getting shielded on the sideline, the ref getting shielded. Those guys aren't getting shielded. You can see on top of that. They should have known that and seen that. Um, and like you said, there's every assistant coach on the sideline has their headset on, whether live or does not. They're telling whatever coach is on the field and he'll go get him. Um, um, so I was disappointed in that. Um, you know, I think there's things that will get cleaned up over time. Not a big deal for me. Now, so the situation you just touched on, I'm not going to lie, man. I hate that rule by definition. I think they called it correctly. Yeah, I hate that. I, I, hate, that. I hate that. I hate that rule. I really do. I mean, when I watch it, I'm like, all right, well, I'm a KU fan. So yeah, I get it. I see it. I mean, I'm, that's fine with me, but I don't like it. And I, I think, I think football NFL and college has gone this way. I mean, he's a ball carrier. I, I mean, I, I don't think he did give himself up quick enough. And, and what it's easy when you're watching things on, on uh, TV and they slow it down, but man, when you're in the heat of the moment, you're trying to stop this guy. I mean, you, you can't sit there and, and stop what you're going to do and tackle a guy. Oh, because he's giving himself up. I mean, you got to go full speed. It's, it's very difficult to stop and no one does that. So, uh, you know, I worked out for us, but I, I hate that call. I really do. Yeah. I agree with you there. And like, I always think, I think just about anyone that's a Chiefs fan, like thinks one of the best moments for Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion, I am not a Chiefs fan. One of the best moments for me was that run he had in the playoffs against the Titans where yeah. he's like running down the sideline <laughs> And there's like a small indication that he might just like just go out of bounds and yeah. then he just completely changes direction. It's like Jason Bean, in my opinion, is a quarterback that has enough speed that if he makes a defender think he's going to give up so that a defender starts slowing down and decides not to, like he's going to beat them. And the one time you get punished by that, you look like an idiot and you lose your team, you lose your team in the game, you know? And, and, and that's why you don't do it. That's why you don't yeah. do it as a defender. You can't sit there and think, oh, I think he's giving himself up. No, you got to go play. I, so I, I guarantee you South Dakota's coaches, I don't mean to cut you off, South Dakota's coaches, they're not pissed at that player. They're pissed at the, the, the call on the refs. I mean, you want you want yeah. that um, from a defensive player, I think. Yeah, I'm with you 100% there. So last thing I want to talk about in terms of pivotal moment in that game is mm-hmm. the game-winning play. And yeah. one thing I was actually very happy to see, because as far as it gets concerned, I had a K-State friend text me like, nice pick play, nice pick route, this, that, the other. I thought it was a perfectly executed version of what almost every team fucks up of a pick route is where it's like, hey, you can't act and like go run into this guy. Kwame, I think it was Kwame Lasseter, went out there and he ran his route. And he, the entire time he looked back at the quarterback and he just did the most perfect job of somewhat getting in that corner's way. He was supposed to be covering Lawrence Arnold enough to make him not be able to jump the route. And it was game over from there. And like, I thought that was a very very well executed play curious your thoughts there and and obviously it won us the game as well yeah absolutely i don't know what that k-state fan uh was talking about that's just somebody just thinking with his heart uh because yeah, that was i mean there's pick plays and people get away with them all the time i've seen the chiefs do it i've seen ku i've seen it happen against us that, i mean that was a pick play but 
that was not illegal that he did that perfectly. Um, so you got a matchup zone there. Okay. You got the, the safety there on number two receiver. It was uh, last year. I think you said it was he, what he did was he ran to the sideline to where he gets that safety to turn his shoulder. So he can't see the quarterback. So then there's no risk of him picking the ball off and he attacks that defensive back who's responsible for Arnold right there. And Arnold does a good job of just settling underneath uh, uh, Lassiter there because what's going to happen is that defensive back is going to run with Lassiter thinking he's really wanting running what we call a wheel route essentially um, and so he's got his back turned he's just following him he's not realizing the ball is going to be thrown there uh, short and so the the corner there has got to come he's got to press up but the receiver's in the way and he did not pick him at all in an illegal way that was a perfectly legal play excellent play call there excellent execution um you know keyword their execution so that was awesome to see i believe that was on third down we talked about the team not getting too high too low all that good stuff um very good job of them staying in the moment staying focused and completing that was awesome to see um and it's good to see arnold step up and good to see bean after you talked about earlier he was rolling to his left skipped a pass overthrew a pass before that i think he had the one that almost should have been intercepted couple plays before that so staying with it uh awesome play overall awesome execution perfectly legal yep i agree with you there man well awesome well that's gonna about do us for this week but before we go i also want you to give me your biggest takeaway from week one and if it's a bad thing how we're gonna fix it if it's a good thing how is it gonna potentially help us win another game uh, I think the biggest takeaway is Jason Bean. I meant to mention this earlier, and that was his ability to uh, have success in the RPOs. We didn't do enough of those, I thought, especially in the first half. And every single one that I remembered or could see, sometimes they're a little bit hidden. It's hard to see from, you know, when you're watching on TV. He did a really good job of reading it correctly and executing it. Um, some of the biggest plays were RPOs. And I really thought that's something right there that if he can do that, he's going to get the other stuff because RPO is such a big thing in, in football right now. So I think that's a big takeaway. Uh, I thought we were very, very vanilla and basic on offense, just predictable run, run right up the middle. I suspect they're going to open it up a little bit more. And I think they're going to have a little bit more confidence now in seeing that Jason Bean was able to do that. Um, so uh, he did a really good job of that. And I think that's big. Um, and one other thing I want to touch on is, Lance Leipold, you see coaches all the time. I think Beatty was pretty active on the sideline for the most part, but he's kind of more of a rah-rah guy. Miles just sat there and, you know, kind of had his hands on his face. Yeah. Weiss was actually pretty uh, verbally active, wasn't moving as much. So the thing that really caught my attention, you kind of talked about it earlier, was uh, Leipold was coaching that game. He was managing it. He had energy and it wasn't just a rah, rah, Hey, good job, bad job, that kind of thing. He was coaching that game. You know, he let his coordinators do their jobs so he could manage the game. Sure. There's things he needs to work on. That's that's football, but I loved seeing his energy and passion on the sideline, grabbing kids and talking to them. Now I'm not there. I can't tell you what he said, but knowing the guy, knowing coaches who know him and I've had conversations with plenty of those guys the guy is a football coach and he was out there educating those, those players. And that's something we have not seen. And I think that's a very, very positive sign moving forward. I, the game overall was disappointing. There was a lot of things that need to be worked on. Um, but I am very confident that Leipold's going to get those things worked out over time. And I'm very confident in what he is doing on the sidelines and, and how he's managing this program and how he's changing the culture. I know you've talked about that. So overall game, little disappointing in some ways, but 
moving forward is going to be the biggest key. And I think each week you're going to see a little bit things improve. Okay. It's a bad football team. They're going to struggle. They're going to do some bad things, but it's a, what do you do about it? That's how we need to be judging Leipold moving forward. Okay. Are they getting better each week? Are they cleaning up the little things? Not necessarily looking at wins and losses. Yes. That ultimately matters. We are in a different situation here, a long rebuild. Uh, sorry. I know you asked for one thing. I'm usually going to give you six. That's kind of no, a you're thing, good. but um, I, I felt that that needed to be said. So, yeah, I'm with you there. And I think uh, Jesse Newell, I think, tweeted out the clip of, I think it was Jack Caldwell. Like there was a play that happened on the sideline and mm-hmm. a South Dakota player like came into him and Jack Caldwell was like bumped into him. And Lance and Coach Gildersleeve, like Gildersleeve like, had this dude by the inside of his shoulder pad. He did. It was just driving him backwards. And yep. Leipold, I don't, I don't even want to know what Leipold was saying. Probably not even like PG-13. But like, we're just driving this kid backward. Leipold was screaming at him. And you could just tell by the look on the kid's face. Was that, that he was like, holy shit. Like, and that's just the stuff that never happened before. And like, I think things like that, like, you know, them yelling at this kid is not going to win us a football game. But what it does do is say, hey, they are establishing discipline. They are in exactly. control of this yep. team. And, and that is every reason for optimism for every KU football fan. I tell people all the time, they're like, how do you watch KU lose by 50 and 16? It's like, hey, man, one of two things. Either one, I get to watch KU play a very good football team, like Coastal Carolina. If they end up being good, just like they were last year, I'm going to watch a team that's really good at football. So I'm fine with that. But at the end of the day for KU, it says, hey, are there things we're building on? Are we getting better at other things? Because at the end of the day, it just takes one miracle season of eight and four, you know, to build a program. So I'm excited. Alex, I know you are. This episode that we do this next week, I will be in Myrtle Beach. I will be going to the Coastal Carolina game. Looking forward to recording that episode. Alex, any final thoughts before we let everybody go? No. uh, Well, you right there, you're talking about that that situation with Leipold you talked about it creates discipline. It absolutely does. The players are going to listen to that and they're going to respect that. And it, I don't want to say it creates fear, but it creates a sense of urgency to them that, Hey, I need to do this right. I don't know. No, nobody wants to go out there and get their ass chewed. And that's the difference between a raw, raw guy and a guy that's going to get up your face and make a point, And he's going to be constructive about what he does. Like you said, it's not necessarily going to win you a football game by just yelling at that kid right then and there. But when you have that discipline and accountability overall, it's going to change things. And who is the number one coach in KU's history of doing that? Mark Mangino. It's exactly what he did. I got to see him do that for a year. Um, so I was very encouraged about that. I loved his energy on the sideline. Uh, looking forward to uh, what we can do next week. We'll talk about that more. But the biggest thing is, is we there was a lot of bad things. What do they do about it? Can they change it? Do, they, do you see them fixed? That's going to be the sign of what Leipold's uh, able to do or not. But I'm very encouraged. I love the guy. I think he's going to do well here. Uh, see what happens Friday night. It's a good football team, but um, a lot of times teams make a big transition from week one to week two. Let's see what the Hawks got. Yep, let's do it. Rock chalk, baby.